Welcome to this podcast from St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope you consider hitting like or subscribe. We hope you will share this audio with your friends and neighbors, help others know about our inclusive, theologically progressive community of faith. If you'd like to support our ministries, you can make a gift at stmichaelsabq.org. In the name of the one who is to come, amen. Please be seated. This second Sunday of Advent is the Sunday of the Prophets. The way pavers appear, principally John the Baptist, in his camel fur, eating locusts and wild honey. I've always wanted to really cast John the Baptist in a pageant and just see what happened. (laughs) See how much of the congregation stayed for the rest of the story. Prophets are odd characters, but the the prophets appear, the theologian Walter Brueggemann says, that the prophets prepare us because they can imagine their world differently in the light of the tradition of faith. The prophets hold imagination and tradition together, and apparently sometimes that makes you a little odd. Prophets seek to make the world anew in the light of faith. Prepare the way of the Lord, the wilderness voice proclaims. Make the paths straight. There is for John the Baptist this connection between preparation and repentance. Repentance. It's that word that sometimes we don't like to hear. Mark tells us John came to bring a baptism of repentance. I've been thinking about the mechanics of repentance and prophecy in part because I recently heard a theological word used in an unexpected place. I was listening to an interview with the sociologist and author Matthew Desmond. His latest book, Poverty by America, it looks at the root causes of poverty in our country. He looks at the ways that we are all of, all of us connected to systems which create poverty. And in our country, it creates more poverty than in any other developed nation. In this interview, Desmond acknowledged how deeply rooted the problem of poverty has become in our land. And then he used this theological word. And maybe it shouldn't have surprised me because... I know Matthew Desmond is a preacher's kid, but still when he said what he said, it took my breath away. This is the line. There is this continued tendency to absolve ourselves through hopelessness. Matthew Desmond, the poverty researcher, believes that we try to absolve ourselves through hopelessness. When we look at the statistics, and even more when we are faced with the stories of those who are living in poverty, we can move to a hopeless place pretty fast. We can say, but Congress, or the welfare state, or the housing market, we can point to powers which feel so much bigger than us. And we can say, political gridlock. We can think there's nothing we can do. And that kind of hopelessness, Desmond is saying, we use it to try to wash our hands of the suffering. If we don't have hope, we can stay disconnected. We can walk away and go about our lives and order the next thing online. We can pretend that God doesn't have something to say. 
I didn't expect to hear about absolution, about repentance from a poverty researcher. That is the kind of word that normally belongs to people like me and JP and Mandy. It's a church word, a clergy word. Absolution is what we priests pronounce after we've confessed our sins together, after we've admitted those things that we have done and left undone. Absolution is a word of hope. Absolution says despite our failures, we're going to try to walk in the ways of God. God invites us to be better, to know within ourselves and to make known within our communities the good news of Christ's love. And Matthew Desmond took my church word out beyond the church walls. But he got me thinking about all of the times, all of the ways that I use hopelessness, all the times I throw up my hands and say, what can you do? Instead of really asking the question, no, what can I do? Desmond got me wondering how often we use hopelessness as a way to assuage our sense of disconnection, our failure to imagine a new world, a safer world, a more welcoming world, a more loving world for our neighbors. Prepare the way of the Lord, John the Baptist comes to say. If Advent is about anything, it is about hope. And hope and repentance are connected. What if the greatest sin, what if the greatest sin, the way that we miss the mark, it's not about sex or pride or vanity. What if the way that we most regularly miss the mark is through our cynicism, through our hopelessness? In Spanish, there's no distinction between the word wait and the word hope. Do you know this? There's just one word, esperar. Hope isn't just a feeling. It's not just something you get when you look at a Christmas tree. Hope can be a discipline. Matthew Desmond says that for the poor, your hopelessness is useless. How then can we practice something more useful? How can we practice hope? Let me mention just one way that this community puts hope into practice. Now, this week, I had the chance to ride along with our Las Familias team. Once a month, a group from St. Michael's gathers in the early morning in a furniture store parking lot, and we drive south to El Paso. And this month, the volunteers were carrying four SUVs, full of coats and warm clothes donated by members of this congregation and folks here in Albuquerque. If you donated, thank you. You added an extra SUV to the caravan this month. But we drive down to El Paso, to the U.S.-Mexico border, to visit shelters. We went to three different shelters. The last shelter we visited, Casa Papa Francisco, I love that name, House of Pope Francis, um, a group of longtime volunteers, all Catholic laywomen, invited us to reflect together. And they told stories of some of the residents that lived there. A 25-year-old woman with stage four cancer fighting for her life. The cancer is terminal, but she's working to buy time because she has a young child with her and they are waiting for a humanitarian visa for her mom to come up from Venezuela and take care of the grandchild. 
We also briefly met a young man who had been injured in a fire in an immigrant detention center over in Juarez just earlier this year. 40 people died in that fire, which was set by migrants to protest the inhumane conditions inside. This man will live with physical disability for the rest of his life. He was learning to speak again after the smoke inhalation caused brain damage. He smiled broadly and he waved to us as he loaded onto the van to go to physical therapy. And with our hosts, we got talking about recent proposals to fix our broken, human, uh, broken immigration system. And some of the other volunteers that would normally be there with us were away in Washington uh, to lobby for reforms. And I heard myself saying I didn't imagine Congress was actually going to act. I don't think this political climate is hopeful, and I caught myself again trying to absolve myself with hopelessness. And so I said quickly, of course, I still have to have hope. And Carol, one of the longtime volunteers, was not going to let me get away with that. (laughs) And she asked, Mike, why do you have hope? And I was quiet for a moment. Eventually, I asked them if they had heard of the theologian Barbara Holmes. She's a teacher here in Albuquerque at the Center for Action and Contemplation, and I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was. All of them had heard of Barbara Holmes. In her latest book, Crisis Contemplation, Barbara Holmes has this line. It goes like this. Despite all evidence to the contrary, I insist on seeing our current state of affairs as the rupture of one state of being that will prepare us for another reality. I'm giving you the full quote. There at Papa Francisco, I had to paraphrase. Despite all the suffering we see, all the intransigence, all the hopelessness, we have to hope. We have to look for signs that a new world is in the business of being born. We have to prepare the way. Our faith teaches us to look for hope among the rubble. We started talking together there at the shelter about the hope we see in the migrants we meet. Despite all the circumstances, despite the suffering, despite the difficulty, abuse, and pain they face, they carry so much hope. Here at St. Michael's, I shared at our landing ministry, I see it all the time. Since I've arrived in Albuquerque, every one of the guests I've met at the landing has been a young man recently released from immigrant detention. Most have been stuck in these prisons for weeks, even months. They've been malnourished and ill-treated by guards. And then they arrive at church, and volunteers smile at them, offer hugs and warm-cooked meals, They get to have a shower and clean clothes, maybe work on a puzzle. I sometimes get asked to pray with these guys, pray with them for safety on the next steps of their journey, and they grip my hands so tight when we pray. And they say, primero Dios. And I feel just a taste of the hope that has carried them all the way from Venezuela, El Salvador, or Peru. The ministries with migrants here at St. Michael's, they have helped me to practice hope this season. The people with whom we minister have helped me to lift my head up 
and see beyond the limits of my own little life. Prophetic hope, it invites us to stand in the faithful gap between our Christian tradition and a new world which we can only yet imagine. That's why the prophets show up. Prophets connect us to the roots of our faith so that we can uproot the injustices in our world, so that we can be a part of reshaping our society to be more loving, more welcoming, more just, more like the world God hopes for us. The prophets come this second Sunday of Advent to help us prepare. So as we go about these last weeks before Christmas, what if we thought of this season as more? What if this season before Christmas was about more than getting the right gifts wrapped and under the tree? or off in the mail? What if this season helped us to learn to let go of our useless hopelessness? What if this Advent, we resolved to be a part of the prophetic work of making the path just a little bit easier for our neighbors? Amen.